We don't know all the intentions of James and John and why they made this request of the Lord. This is unlike the first time when they spoke about who was the greatest among them. This is just a simple request of James and John. And part of this is they actually know their scripture decent enough. They understand that the Son of Man is prophesied in Daniel 7 as being the great one that goes before the Lord in all of his glory, coming on the clouds of heaven, in that around him thrones are set up, and they themselves were promised that they will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So they understand Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of the Son of Man in Daniel 7, in that the twelve are to be judges over the twelve tribes of Israel. Perhaps they're even concerned for Jesus. The context is Jesus has just finished making his third passion prediction, and this is the most explicit prediction yet. In the very verses that preceded our gospel passage today, Jesus says how the Son of Man must be turned over to the Gentiles, spat upon, utterly crucified, and then die, but that he will rise on the third day. It gives everything that will about that will, is about to take place in Jerusalem. And on the heels of this, perhaps the disciples, concerned for the life of Jesus himself, want to look to the glory and say, appoint us at your right and your left. Don't talk anymore about the cross, not even your own death. If you reign right now in us at your right and your left, you won't even have to die. We do not know the reason why James and John made their request. Maybe some good things, maybe some bad things. But we do know this. Everything that Jesus says after this request of James and John foretells of the passion. First, he talks about his passion like a baptism. He asks them, can you be baptized with the same baptism with which I am baptized? And it's interesting to use the word baptism. For us, baptism is experiencing being conformed to Christ in his death when we go down into the waters, as if going down into the ground with Jesus upon his death, and rising out of the waters with him in the resurrection. We are conformed to his passion and death and brought into his body, experiencing the passion and the freedom from sin that comes with it through his death on the cross. And also the hope of the resurrection is bound up in our own baptism. So it makes sense that Jesus talks about baptism as foretelling his passion and death. Furthermore, he talks about the chalice. This is the same word that he'll use later in Mark, saying, This is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the covenant which will be poured out for many. And even that word many is used towards the end of our gospel and in our first reading, that Jesus is to give his life as a ransom for many. It's very scriptural, very much based in the Old Testament. And again, we hear this word chalice when Jesus is in his agony in the garden. Father, remove this chalice from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. We see the connection of chalice, not just meaning a chalice of blessing, But first, this chalice of suffering, this chalice that Jesus must drink, this chalice that is the outpouring of his blood, foreshadowed in the Passover and brought up in the Last Supper as the very blood which will be shed upon the cross.
Interestingly, right and left, that also is a reference to the crucifixion. Jesus can't give John and James the place at his right and his left because that's already been reserved for the two thieves that will be crucified with him on his right and on his left. It is not James and John to take those places at that moment. They will indeed suffer and die for Jesus and with him, but not at that moment at the crucifixion. That's been reserved for those two thieves. And finally, we hear the words to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, in this moment, takes this idea of the Son of Man, this idea of glory, this divine title, and combines it with the suffering servant of Isaiah. And that's why we have our first reading today. It's from that suffering servant that through his suffering he will justify many, and it's through his death he has taken the burden of all iniquities upon himself in in order to free us from the bondage of sin and death. This idea of connecting the Davidic title Son of Man, this divine title of Son of Man, with suffering is brought up in the word to serve. It's easy to see that all the nations, all tongues, all peoples will serve this great divine figure, and yet by combining it with the suffering servant from Isaiah, he shows the true meaning of service, which is the divine figure actually serving all the nations and peoples and tongues by offering his life in the service of many to expiate their sins. We may often ask for holiness, but we're afraid and shrink back from the suffering that such holiness entails. And if you're not praying for holiness yet, you should be praying for that every day. We should always be praying for holiness. But oftentimes, the very thing which we wish to be delivered from, the very suffering we want alleviated, is none other than the instrument, the cross, to deliver us from our bondage and attachments that prevent us from holiness. When we make our prayer for holiness, we have to not only focus on this being brought to perfection, but also be open to the means by which God can bring this about in us. It's kind of like a little child who desires to do all the things that adults can do. He says, well, when can I do this? You're not old enough yet. Well, it's not just a factor of age. It's you're not mature enough yet. You can't have this responsibility because you haven't had the trials and sufferings to know just how important it is to wield this well, to wield this power well, to wield this vehicle well. We think, oh, when I'm 16, then I'll be able to drive. How exciting. Well, it's not an age thing. When you're 16, please God, you know that this vehicle is not just a place to get you from A to B, but it comes with a great responsibility. This vehicle can kill you. This vehicle can kill others. Only when you realize that can you truly undertake the responsibility of driving. So many things like this when we're waiting eagerly to take on this responsibility. I want to be a homeowner. Well, I know less about this than most. I've never owned my own home, per se. Um, but the problems to take care of everything in a house, when that leak becomes something that could be catastrophic, it could be very insignificant, but it's your job to figure it out and get it fixed. Yes, it's great to live on our own, but the responsibility to upkeep the house is 
an incredible responsibility, and even more so in our vocations, whether to family life or to priesthood and religious life. We're eager to have all the power and freedoms that go with certain vocations, and yet oftentimes we're not ready till we experience the suffering and sacrifice entailed so that we can actually love enough to enter those vocations. We should eagerly pray for holiness and seek the glory of heaven, but we should also attune our wills to accept the sufferings that will come. Otherwise, our prayer is like James and John. It's only half-hearted if we simply desire the glories of heaven. To desire the glory of heaven without being open to the suffering and the cross, the very means, and indeed the only means, by which we can follow Christ into his glory would be folly. So indeed, we do pray for this holiness and for the glories of heaven but also with preparation in our hearts to be open to whatever vehicle the Lord desires to give us that holiness. And we also know with those trials and sufferings and sacrifices, we beseech God for his grace to strengthen us to say yes as he did on the cross.